0: All right, now that we've got the cameras working, Michael, why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, um, I am a little older than you. (laughs) I've done many things. Uh, I grew up in the middle of Tennessee, halfway between Knoxville and Nashville, and um, on a tobacco farm. Uh, Grew up in poverty. Uh, We lived in a log cabin. until I was about eight years old wow! her living by mules and, uh, I didn't work uh, behind the mules. My brother did. My twin brother did. Uh, I had polio and so I wore special shoes and braces and things like that. And couldn't be, um, uh, messing up a $40 pair of shoes when, uh, the family income was less than a thousand dollars a year. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, um, so I, um, Having polio turned out to be the, the best thing that happened to me. Um, I actually realized that before I was an adult. Uh, it enabled me to go college. Um, I went to college on a vocational rehabilitation um, scholarship, or at least they started me five quarters at Tennessee Tech. And uh, I got a start, and then I'd go north and work in the factories and come back to school. So that's the way I got, I got through college and uh after college um taught school and down here in the mountains as well and um uh, well, we were located about halfway between Knoxville and Nashville in, in middle tennessee except it's uh up on the kentucky line and uh, uh during college um uh, i majored in history um uh, secondary education was a minor and then um got out, taught school. And while I was teaching school, I met my future wife. She was going to Bible college. And uh, through her, her family, her dad mainly, I learned about Francis Schaeffer. And that changed my world.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Uh, I grew up in a Methodist church. And uh, it's very pietistic, very emphasis on ethics and holiness and things like that. But when I Red Schaefer, it was like, uh, I describe it as walking through a funnel. You know, you're in the tube, and it's back here. And I walked out the front of the funnel, and it just opened the world up. (laughs) It was was amazing. Um, So uh, uh, that was during my senior year in college. And then I got out and taught school for a while. But uh, Schaefer, even though it took me six months to read the God who is there, um, it was clear there was something more interesting and much more challenging than what I had known about Christianity. So uh, my wife and my sister, or my, my future wife and my sister, had gone to Bible college. So I had a degree already, and I thought I'd go work on a master's degree in a, in a Bible college in Kansas City. Well, I got there, and uh, they were essentially... I felt giving me the notes that they got in graduate school five years, 10 years earlier. And, uh, about that time I'd, in, in the interim I'd gone to a, a Bible church, which was very dispensational. And, uh, I became disenchanted very quickly with, uh, reading Schaefer and then the separatism that was there that just didn't work. And so I transferred to Trinity Evangel- Evangelical Divinity School and uh, started doing a MDiv. Uh, They didn't, it was a master's in education, Christian education. That wasn't what I wanted. I wanted some, I wanted Bible content. I wanted apologetics, church history, that, some some, some meat. So I had to take the MDiv. And of course, starting the MDiv meant uh, Greek and Hebrew. (laughs) So I did uh, the whole, really the, the difficult part of the MDiv. And uh, I had to drop out some problems in our marriage and health problems with my wife. And I dropped out and worked in a, at a factory for, well, it was probably about 10 years. And I went back, they, they had completed a, um, a uh, MAR. And working with a new MAR, I, could go back and complete uh, complete a degree for, in eighteen hours, so I wrapped up. I got it tied up in a in a in a, in a degree. And after that, I worked in industrial sales. Um, worked at Wheaton College, and in, uh, in development. It was recruited by Tennessee Tech to come back south uh, to work in um, in their development development program. Actually, to start a program and. Um, I found that two jobs in education, while the people were great and the mission was great, the the, the bureaucracy was uh, unbelievable. And uh, having worked ten years in industrial sales for a Minneapolis company, when I was essentially working on my own uh, in when I was a salesman, and then later I was um, a sales manager, and I could get things done. I could, if my boss, the, uh, the sales uh, vice president, if he if, if I couldn't get hold of him, I could actually call the president and get something done. But um, Tennessee Tech, I had to take three months to hire somebody. And <laughs> I, I'm a bit a bit of a driver, and so uh, and uh, I went back into industrial sales. I found that that. Um, position was gonna be eliminated because we were selling equipment, industrial machinery for a German company and the economy was turned down and they wanted us to uh, stock, uh, they wanted us to build a a reserve of um, inventory and add people. And my boss said, hey, we've got two uh, used equipment businesses and we're going to um, concentrate on that and let the distributorship go. So I had a year to do something and um, I started the Humanitas Forum on Christianity and Culture. I don't know if you got to, to check out my, uh, I, I'm sure you read my uh, uh, little little uh, paragraph.
0: Yep, yep. But, uh,
1: but uh, Since making is a newsletter that I have now. So I started uh, Humanitas Forum. What, is, what does it mean to follow Jesus in a post-Christian culture? And uh, the name Humanitas was from the question that was being asked then in bioethics, I started by an emphasis on bioethics for the first uh, three years or so. Cloning and stem cell research, those were um, big uh, big topics in the news then. And um, I focused on those. And um, what, what, is it, what does it mean to be human? And that's where the humanities come from. And uh, I felt that it was Clearly, a post-Christian culture, and I wanted to decide what that meant. But when I wrote my five hundred one C five hundred one C proposal for the uh, for the uh, IRS, um, I realized that bioethics might not be big enough to keep me going and keep the interest. And so uh, I wrote it broadly. Um, what does it mean to follow Jesus in a post-Christian culture? And bioethics could could fall under that and um, so um,
0: well what do you when you talk about a post-Christian culture what are you thinking about? I'm
1: thinking about a not a culture where Christianity has disappeared but it doesn't have a physical presence there are no institutions in the culture that are shaped by a Christian worldview and it's uh, there. are people who define post-Christian different ways, but uh, that reflects the secularization of the culture. And uh, it's we, we live in many ways through institutions and education, business, all those things. And now even more so since some of the uh, cultural agenda is coming into our uh, human resources departments and so forth, uh, it's even a less, uh, of an influence in, uh, in, the, in the institutions.
0: How would you differentiate between a secular institution and a Christian institution?
1: Well, there are many shades that can be made there. Uh, I think that there's common grace and there is a not a purely secular institution. There's a lot of good even in education or business or whatever so i don't try to make a distinction between a secular institution and a christian institution Uh, we are to be salt and light and uh to bring a christian presence um wherever we're at and so uh i think that uh That's the discipleship problem that I wrestle with right now is how to, and that's what I want to talk to you about is how to do discipleship in such a way that we can train people. People are busy and don't take the time, and they look at all the issues. I'm I'm fixing to teach a a class on ancient wisdom for a postmodern age. And uh, working with business, uh, working with uh, work, education, different ar- arenas like this. And uh, a concern that I've got is when people see the magnitude of the problem, they, how to scale it to where they can get something to work with. And, and, and getting an understanding uh, of the magnitude of the problem is uh, is hard to do at an elementary level, do you work people up? So that's one of the things I try to do with my sense-making newsletter is I've got about probably a hundred people who read my newsletter locally here on a regular basis. And that is a way of shaping some of those people, preparing them to think about the magnitude of the problem.
0: Um, and your your newsletter is MichaelPoor.substack.com. That okay. one that you sent me. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, let's. So these are, I mean, part of the challenge of of trying to make progress in this area is, of course, definition and scope, because it, it's hard. You know, especially, I don't know if you have you read Tom Holland's book Dominion oh yeah oh yeah okay because it's I, I think in a lot of ways the entire secular framework is born out of christendom out of a way to try to avoid what what became sort of the the very bloody and intractable conflicts of the in the post-reformation of you know all the wars catholic protestant wars and, and so this this Protestant, this secular Protestant framework develops, especially in the United States, where even though there is no state church of the United States, um, especially before the Second World War, everything was sort of permeated with a, um, a, a self-conscious Christian, um, you know, to be a good person was to go to church, to follow to broadly follow christian values, marriage, family. I mean this was all sort of, you know, especially before the counterculture, this was all pretty much standard assumed thinking in the United States. And and, and churches sort of then sort of tried to intensify upon that and make the point that being participating at this level of Christendom um discipleship really involved more. And so Churches, churches usually sort of tried to intensify, but there was already certain, certainly an alignment to the culture, and part of, you know, part of what we see, and I think Schaefer tried to demonstrate the continuity in Christianity than in the culture, and then of course the counterculture comes along, and you know, in, in the 1980s when Schaefer really comes to public prominence, um, that's it, it's sort of it's sort of a push back against the 1960s, 1970s counterculture and the the attempt to de-Christianize institutions. So, and, you know, usually for an ostensibly pluralist vision that would imagine that good is, is somehow uh, self-evident in the world and... Then, you know, all the different religions sort of pursue the good as such, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that project has now been with us a while. And, and I think amongst many, they look at the culture and say that, law, that de-racification, that loss of connection to the roots has meant that these institutions have just sort of continued to float away and increasingly get further from what had been implicit Christian values, practices, and norms, and so you know even though there's a continuity with Christianity, they sort of float away. Uh, so it's,
1: it's been referred to as a cut flower civilization
0: That's a good way to say it's a good image to 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 sort of to sort of can conceptualize it. So how does your project I mean, especially when I hear discipleship in you know, over the last 30, 40 years, there's been a, a real, um, Dallas Willard went into this. There, there, there was, there was a real discipleship focus in many, in many churches to try to, in a sense, reattach the cut flower in some ways. So, so talk to me about, about this project a little bit more. I'm I'm just trying to see if you and I are tracking kind of on the same page with this.
1: Okay. Um, I work, through, uh, I work on the campus of Tennessee Tech with students, okay. and the Humanitas Forum is a, is a public uh, uh, organization. I work about half time with students and about half time with, uh, with uh, uh, just general people in the public, uh, discipling a doctor, um, an elder in, a, in, in another church. I've been asked to mentor him, uh, all sorts of things like that a lot of church problems I've been called in to do mediation and church problems so a lot of it's on the ground just I'm I'm not a pastor I'm not ordained as a pastor but a lot of it is pastoral work and I have pastors that I actually a couple pastors that I have disciples in many ways I think but um, what I try to do is help people to understand the culture what the challenges of the culture are And then how do we contend for the faith? And that's my apologetics interest. Um, Ratio Christi is a campus ministry of apologetics and uh, try to get beyond just the arguments for the existence of God, get beyond the argument why the Bible is reliable and so forth to a cultural apologetic and how to live out, first of all, to think that there could be a theology of work and what that means. And I've developed a a pretty substantial library overall and quite a few books on a theology of work and do Sunday school classes or in mentoring people, talk to them about a theology of work. And that needs to be expanded until we are thinking theologically about education and um, uh, technology especially technology, especially with the college students that I work with. Pornography is a big, big, big issue. So in this class I'm doing on uh, ancient, I'm looking at uh, that, uh, the Old Testament, uh, the wisdom literature and, uh, and picking up themes that will address specific, uh, specific areas. So for example, when I talk about the, uh, uh, the strange woman of Proverbs, I make the point that she's no longer a woman; she's pixels on a screen, or she's mm. silicon in a sex spot. Mm. So translate those concepts of distorted sex into the realities that are that that are in the culture today. And I use um, secular people as much as I can to make my points. Uh, Louise Perry, for example, you're familiar with her. Yep. Yep. So I make a case for um, uh, dealing with a sexual revolution based on some of the arguments she makes. Uh, Deborah So is another lady. Uh, she argues that biology is important. So I think we can draw on those people and some common ground that we have, are what Schaefer would call, to a certain degree, co-belligerence. And we can draw on that as an aspect of common grace and people who, Either, well, and, and another thing I, I, I find that most people don't know, at least in the churches in the area that I minister in, um, common grace, natural law, all of those things. And uh, that's, that's an important part of what I'm trying to do is help them to see that even in the fallenness and the separateness of uh, religion, uh, Christianity from the culture, that Tom Holland is correct there's a residual there and whether they know it or not, that's something that we can, we can connect to and be a resource and and provide a, a common ground for, for talking about things. Uh, A lot of the churches identifies themselves, not only, this is true in my area, uh, identify themselves as we are not like them and instead of build, building common ground and, and in fact what a, a part of what i've done is something like your your estuary except it's within the church hmm. uh, i've had reading groups for several years and i've tried to get m- many different congregations in those groups they're typically eight, 10, 15 people and uh, i guess uh, probably i've had those for 10 or 12 years and uh, I'll have Free Will Baptist, Southern Baptist, PCA, OP, and so forth. And uh, the mix varies from time to time. But uh, it's, uh, it's that, that, that thrust to building common ground within the church, and then how to reach out and talk to other people. And most people, at least in this area, will have an agenda when they talk with someone they feel that they have to witness to them to evangelize them convert them instead of building common ground and, and and answering questions that's that's one of the things I learned from Schaefer. is you know there's a story he said um, if he had an hour to talk to somebody he had he would listen for 55 minutes and 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 give answers the last five
0: yeah
1: yeah I, yeah and that's a hyperbole but He's, not,
0: not always. <laughs>
1: in fact, I've heard people. I went to hear him speak at uh, Wheaton College once when we were still in the Chicago area, and uh, there was some guy there that was belaboring a point. But James Sire told the story that that uh, there was some guy who had communications problem, and he couldn't make himself clear. And Schaefer kept helping him try to get the answer out. And the audience really got frustrated. So maybe it, it makes a point. Listen yeah. and then answer.
0: What kinds of books are you using for these church reading groups?
1: Oh, everything. <laughs> um, I think we've used Dallas Witter. You, you had, we had mentioned him. Uh, yeah. He's not, I'm, I'm reformed in the sense of uh, being an evangelical, reformed evangelical. That's uh, a, yeah. I've attended a PCA church. I go to a Southern Baptist church at the moment. Uh, We've used Jamie Smith, Oz Guinness, um, a broad range of people like that.
0: What does does your program with the students look like? How often do you meet with them? What kinds of things are you doing with them?
1: We meet uh, twice a week and then a lot of one-on-one. Meet on Thursday nights on campus. And uh, we're currently just finishes three isms um nihilism existentialism and absurdism and enter and and reflecting what that looks like in the culture so for the nihilism cult, uh, discussion we had an essay by a harvard student who argued that harvard students are nihilist hmm. and so we used that as a way of um of talking about that last week uh, we were we were on um Uh, existentialism. And uh, this Thursday will be absurdism. And uh, there are some some philosophers who would consider themselves absurdist. And and we'll be looking at a couple of those.
0: Do you meet as how how large of a group Uh, are these meetings?
1: Uh, It's usually a small group. It's self-selecting. The questions are uh, pretty heavy. And uh, occasionally I'll have a campus minister send another campus ministry send somebody over uh since we since they're struggling with something that they don't know anything about now i'm not a professional apologist <laughs> i wasn't tra- <coughs> i wasn't trained in apologetics or philosophy but it's something i've had to pick up over the well we've had this uh, ratio christy ministry for uh, well since uh, 2015 Okay, so I've accumulated a good library and a lot of um, learned learned a lot about apologetics over that time. Uh, we bring in speakers. Uh, we have Kelly Capic coming in to speak um, on his book "You're Only Human." So we do that, and and, and um, oh, the other thing you ask about the um, the weekly schedule, we eat dinner on Sunday night, and that's a time of discussion. Uh, we've uh, my my son. Uh, and my daughter have had contact with a Southboro Labrie and um, have gone out there. And so we've tried to adapt some of their um, conversation, dinner conversations to our, our Ratio Christie meeting. So building a building a community there. So we'll, we'll pick up a topic for discussion sometimes. Um, uh, if we've got a speaker, we'll do a follow-up uh, debrief for the speaker, um, so it's it's a time of building community, and is many ways much more productive than the formal study on Thursday night. Mm,
0: mm, mm. That doesn't surprise me. Um, what um, tell me about some of the students that that come to these things? Their background, their interests, what what motivates them?
1: Uh, a lot of them are um, uh, they're curious about apologetics. Uh, they've not had apologetics at all. Many of them don't, don't even know the meaning of the term apologetics, and they're just a little bit curious. Uh, some of them have problems. Um, we're working with a guy now who's dealing with the the question of the hiddenness of God, and we've been working with him for uh, two years, um, and uh, we're working through some things. He comes from... a from a PCA background, so he's he's got a, a family of a family history of good teaching and everything, but um, I don't think I don't think anybody really sorted out for him hmm. what It means on the ground, yeah, its <laughs> hand knowledge and how to live it out. Yeah. And uh, he was in a bubble, and uh, when you go to college and other people ask questions that you never thought about, it's pretty easy to get rattled.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: um so he's uh, spending a lot of time with him in fact our assignment so the topics that we're dealing with this this semester are uh, uh, a range of questions that came up last semester and i've assigned him to do that topic the hiddenness of god so he, he he'll be doing dealing uh, uh Schellenberg or some of those folks who've written on the, the uh hiddenness of god he deals with those Okay. Uh, A lot of them are, um, and we don't, my my daughter, Jennifer, works uh, with me. Uh, She's uh, an unmarried music teacher. Um, And uh, we've just had two meetings sitting down, the two of us, to talk about the audience that we've got. A number of the people this semester are, uh, they're uh, socially awkward. We've got two or three people who uh, have ADHD. All of them are smart, uh, mechanical engineers, chemical engineers, those kind of people, and uh, they're capable, but very reluctant to talk. Hmm. And uh, we we it's a it's an anomaly. It's, we've never had this combination. You always get a few people like that. Right. Uh, this time uh, it's uh, that's one of the things we're trying to sort out is how to, and and it's what that does is that means a lot more one on one. Yeah, you got to get to know those people.
0: Yeah,
1: and uh, and and understand what their what their questions are. Yeah, we've had a, a Buddhist uh, student attending this semester, uh, an Iranian who uh, come to do came to do uh, at Tennessee Tech came to do a PhD in chemical engineering. So we're getting some people that are that are uh, uh, non Christians. It's typically a Christian group.
0: Okay that's it's very interesting i think I, I think a lot of people are dealing with the fact that rates of autism have risen and um i think covid also disrupted a lot of young people's development especially in the relational social to have a year or so, I mean, screens have already been disrupted. But then you throw a, a pandemic on top of that, the social isolation, you throw the higher rates of autism, the more awareness of, um, of, of how being on an autistic spectrum impacts someone's relational capacity. I'm not, especially at a, at a technical school that tends to attract the sciences. I'm not surprised you're seeing more and more students that are are struggling in some of these areas, even though they're excelling in in technical fields. I'm not surprised by that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we did a count, and we've got nine people who have uh, either ADHD on Ritalin or something like that, or um, have social skills problems. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And and that's created a lot of work because you you have to do more work on -on (laughs) one-on-one.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> it creates, I mean, oh, a wow. lot of the, you you have to, you know, sort of give, give support in terms of their capacity to benefit from the, you know, if it's a small group, it's, it's a people who are really adept relationally and socially, you know, they're, they're like a fish in water. But if you struggle in that area, Small groups can be really challenging. Sort of all the implicit, implicit knowledge of knowing when to speak, how to relate. Um, so no, I can I can really see that that's a complexity for you guys.
1: I uh, I think too, since it is a small group, people will come to our our group, and they don't want to go to a group that's eighty or a hundred.
0: Yes, yes. And they can yeah. fit,
1: and especially come to eat a home cooked meal once a week. Yeah.
0: yeah yeah especially when they're away at school living in a very institutional life um that's that's really a powerful thing to be much more in a in a, a familial warm welcoming home environment is is very powerful for a lot of students um how, how on earth did you find me i found you back a
1: long time ago uh, way back when you were first um, I don't remember exactly how when you were talking about Jordan Peterson I think that was um, I was trying to think uh, I don't think it was a Jordan Peterson link I think it was some other topic I was searching doing an internet search for and you had written something on it and um, I, I, I picked up your your name and then um, uh, later maybe a couple years ago I mentioned to my daughter that, uh, this guy, Paul Vanderclay, you need to, to check him out. And, uh, she's become an avid fan. Of you. <laughs> she'll, she'll, she'll check you out once, a, once a week, twice a week. Okay. Uh, almost, uh, uh, maybe even daily, you'd have to ask her, but, uh, she, she's always sending me a note. Have you, have you seen Paul's, uh, latest and so forth? And she, she and I both, um, uh, Cover a pretty broad spectrum. Glenn Scrivener, we watch trigonometry. Uh, uh, Benjamin Boyce. Uh, uh, these are ways of uh, finding out what some of the issues are in the culture and finding out. My basic thrust in this Sunday school class I've mentioned is to describe a mission field. What do we do in this mission field?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And and describe that in such a way that people can understand it and relate.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I, I see myself as a, as a, um, translator. Um, uh, I, I'm not a scholar, but I like reading books. You know, I've I've read Alexander Solzhenitsyn and Václav Havel and people like that, I, I, I like that. I'm not a scholar, but you can learn things from those people. That help you understand what's going on, and then how to how to explain that then to the to the culture. Uh, Tom Holland is a he's a godsend.
0: Yeah, yeah, and no, um, I agree. Yeah. Um. T- tell me, you know, I was very interested in in your missional question. What does it mean to follow Jesus in a post Christian culture? Can Can you dig into that a little more, especially as you're as you're seeing your students and even even the other adults wrestle with that because i think you know i I think in many ways that is the question that the church is confronted with because as i said you know especially people closer to our age we grew up in an area again of you know aaron wren calls it sort of a positive world there's a degree of alignment between the culture and christianity and in the last, well, during my lifetime, that's shifted quite a bit. It doesn't shift evenly throughout. I mean, the United oh. States and the West is a very large place. And so it shifts in different ways. But this, you know, f- figuring out what it means to embody Christianity, not just, you know, uh, at all the different levels, individually, um, familially, as a church. And then when you get up into these these institutions. I mean, these are these are some of the most difficult things that we're struggling with right now. Yeah. So, so what have you? So, what are what are some of your takeaways from from doing this work for a while?
1: Um, my takeaway, first of all, is that people don't uh, don't understand the culture. They're very busy, and um, they don't have time to process these things. Uh, they're looking basically for a formula to keep their kids at home, keep their kids, um, I I shouldn't say at home, but keep their kids in the faith. And they're looking for shortcuts, a formula. And um, that for the adults is the big challenge, is you've got to carve out time for, like Deuteronomy says, when you walk in the streets, when you do your day, daily life. Um, uh, you got competition from um, social media, of course. How do we understand social media? And uh, I did a series of apologetics classes at the local church here. And uh, uh, when I did the segment on social media, parents, and, and these are teenagers, they couldn't, couldn't imagine telling their kids, that they have to wait till 14 or 16 to get a a phone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my wife, my wife is an elementary school teacher and she's just, she, she just gets very frustrated because she's, she's telling, she's telling the parents very directly, do not introduce these things into your children's lives, you know, to the degree that you can keep them away for as long as you can, because this is this is really going to undercut the basic formation and she's teaching in a secular she's teaching in a public school this is going to undercut your children's development and it's going to introduce all sorts of corrosive distractions into their lives that they are going to then be encumbered by once they get sort of into the you know college young adult phase because you're just they're not developing They're not, they're not developing the interpersonal social skills that, that they really need for thriving long-term.
1: Yeah. And it affects their attention span quite dramatically as well. Uh, There's a guy, Leonard Sachs, S-A-X, who uh, has done considerable research. I think he may be a Christian of some sort, but uh, he has good information. Um, my my concern is that I'm a generalist, and I wonder if I shouldn't be a more of a specialist in some particular area, specializing in technology, or because that is the big thing that's shaping people. yeah. Like yeah. It's not a matter of going off to school as I did and getting warned. Don't be careful in the biology class. You'll lose your faith yeah. about evolution yeah. it's um uh, it's just on the internet and and the distraction of it is uh, yeah. much of a problem as the content so yeah. we have to un- understand technology is um it giveth and it taketh away someone said yeah 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 and discernment wisdom um that's why i'm interested i'm uh, doing this series at sunday school uh, about three years ago i did um a study of Proverbs verse by verse with a, a, an atheist student. And he got interested in Proverbs because he wanted to learn to live wisely.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. And he moved out of the area after we got through the, through the series, but um, the wisdom that comes in making decisions between good and bad. And I think we have to mind the, and, and this is my kick right now, <laughs> wisdom literature discernment yeah you got good and bad and how do you disciple to where people can understand one versus the other and then be formed so that they can um engage with uh with, with the difficult parts and yeah. not some and not get sucked in
0: yeah yeah and it you know wisdom it's interesting how wisdom has become a, an area, you know, in YouTube. There are a lot of secular channels out there now. Um, uh,
1: I noticed this two or three years ago, and I got to thinking, and and it's taken me this long to get to doing something of substance on that, but it's uh, the secular people are asking the questions. Yes. That's part of the, the value of knowing the culture because there are people out there who see the culture; they know what's going on. John Verveke, yeah, like that. Yeah, you, you can learn to read the culture by by listening to the culture.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's also as as you well know, it's it, it's something that you want. Um, you need mature you need a degree of maturity and stability to engage in it so you don't just get swept away it's tremendously difficult
1: oh and parents are a problem you find children you find children who are frustrated with the parents from being on the phone so it's it starts with the adults
0: yeah 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 it kids parents model kids grow up into their parents. That's sort of the first draft of, of who they are. Yeah. And, and part of what's so, so difficult is that you've got parents who are sort of formed by a particular technological layer. And then kids are living at a, at a, a different layer. You know, kids know social media, they, they, they they they've long outstripped the parents because they've you know they, they've sort of the parents have you know they live busy lives they've got to pay bills they've got to keep the household and so they sort of plateau at a certain level and the kids go to a different level and then not only are the parents in some in some senses modeling bad behavior to the kids but they are also obsolete in terms of having no idea i i regularly have that i will you know, someone will bring something to me out that's out there in the broader culture. And I'm just, I'm just aghast. I, I, the culture is so vast, so large. There are so many there are so many niches. It's no one can keep up with this. And so then trying to, I, I, I think actually we do need generalists too. um, trying to gain some perspective and, you know, the, the hope of wisdom is that it will, it will translate into different areas and not just be siloed uh, by its roots. The
1: culture isn't out there; it's it's right. in here.
0: Yeah. No, that's very true. Yeah. That's very true. Well, we just have a, a few minutes left. I don't know if you had any specific questions you wanted to get into, or if uh,
1: if you um, now your congregation is older, I understand. Yep. And um, I wonder how you deal with some of these issues, or, or do you directly? Uh, since uh, you don't have a young congregation and children growing up in your church and so forth, uh,
0: most of the people in my church couldn't find pornography if they wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so my my ministry is obviously with YouTube taking a very strange turn.
1: Yeah. Uh, in
0: that I, in well, the in, in terms of the church work, I'm predominantly dealing with seniors.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, in terms of the online work, which has also via the meetups and the estuary project become a face to face, usually with adults. You know, most of the estuary people, it, they usually have to get a little bit out of college before they begin to realize exactly what they're facing Uh, and and now suddenly when they get into their 20s and 30s they begin to recognize oh man marriage is a challenge work is a challenge these these issues are challenging and and they come to the estuary to to at least have a forum that's a little bit separate from their jobs to a lot of people come to the estuary meetings and and have to talk about what they're discovering at their jobs, and they need a space to process some of these things. And so for me, having a, um, I, I know that there's, you know, there's a lot of debate within the estuary communities about, is this evangelism? Is this not evangelism? My take is it's not direct evangelism, but I think it's, I think churches want to be in the room for those conversations and and because those conversations are going to happen. And I think part of it is, as you say, the church doing some cultural exegesis to figure out what's going on in the culture. Because if you're just figuring out, the learning about the culture through screens, that's only half the story. Because people are watching screens and the screens are certainly impacting them, but The, the, the group of people that are on the screens, even with social media, which has vastly broadened it, the group of people that are on the screens are small compared to the massive diversity of ideas and positions and experiences and backgrounds that you'll find just sort of dipping a sample into the culture. And so, you know, these conversations that I do, these Randall's conversations, I think are, are demonstrate that where you know like with you today I, I i just open up calendly and anybody can get a slot and bang here's a whole nother world that i knew nothing about but here it is yeah, yeah. so
1: are there it's, res- it's
0: tremendously challenging
1: are there resources or that you're aware of, of people trying to do what i'm doing uh, i just made a list here art, law, education, business, family, community. Those are areas that I'm very concerned about. Yeah. And the question is, how do you get the church? Because they they build friends and it becomes a little club. And how do you get them to move beyond that?
0: And, and the church and the church program, which, I mean, anybody can watch what I do on Sunday. I work the church program on Sunday. I have my Sunday school class. I have my sermons I'm not recommending that we lay aside the church program, which is attempting oh, no. to form to form people in the Scriptures and in the tradition of Christian discipleship. I'm not saying that aside, but you're exactly right that when it comes to their daily lives, the challenges of family, child rearing, all of these things. Well, that's that's part of the reason there's so much other parachurch, so many other things going on and and you know you're working off the the legacy of Francis Schaeffer and the work that he did you know there are many other groups that are working in this area especially around campus ministry but what's i i think the assumption used to be that this sort of stuff could have been segmented it off at campus ministry and i think what we're realizing is that something like we do in campus ministry needs to continue on in the churches as well
1: oh yeah mm-hmm.
0: And, and it sounds like that's, I'm, I'm not at all surprised that you have both got one leg in campus ministry, which tends to be sort of the weather forecasting of what the church is going to face as we go into the future. And you've got a foot in both um, spaces. I'm not surprised by that at all. Uh,
1: no. Do you know of, uh, of anyone doing something very similar? Uh, I, I'm, I'm aware of campus ministries, lots of them. Yeah. And they're working with students. Yeah. They're working on Bible content, they're working on uh, theology, but then how to translate that,
0: how to put legs under that? I, I think, I think denominations probably should be doing more of that, but denominations are really struggling. I know mine is.
1: Yeah, well, I just left a PCA church a year and a half ago, and I'm in a Southern Baptist church now. Yeah. And uh, both of them are struggling, as you know.
0: Yeah. Denominations, in many ways, you know, almost all denominations, at least Protestant denominations, sort of grow out of past uh, fights, traumas, and schisms. And, And those fights, traumas, and schisms often sort of set the program of the denomination and so then when, you know, part of what's happened in the evangelical space is that denominations have tried to do things, but there's this whole parachurch world that has been more responsive, um, but also more diverse because denominations really struggle kind of getting beyond the traumas that shaped and formed them. Because usually what denominations are about are fighting Fighting the war that formed the denomination. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. They're stuck in the past. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And, and they're and because they're so broad and inherently political, and I don't mean involved in secular politics. I mean just the dynamics are political within a denomination because it's a process to sort of figure out your power hierarchies and your structures and your influences. It's I'm not surprised that a lot of other ways to assist and inform the church have developed outside of denominations. So, yeah. And, you know, part of what we know now, you know, via social media is that we can begin to see people who are working in similar areas, but boy, it's, it's still challenging.
1: And in my area, and um, I pretty much consider myself a pioneer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm
1: getting, I'm getting close to 20 years on in this project.
0: Yeah,
1: and um, I've accomplished something in that I I've got a a newsletter that a hundred
0: people read. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's
1: momentum there. Yeah, and um, I consider it a, a blessing that I've accomplished what I have. Yeah, and and I think it's a matter of being satisfied with that.
0: Yeah, yeah very much so and
1: being content contentment is one of my uh classes for proverbs and um uh, that's a lesson i'm trying to learn now yeah. And 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 find resources that can help me do a better job in what i'm doing
0: yeah no absolutely well i'm I, certainly I, with you on that
1: and i think the best thing i did was um forming that question a mission question rather than a mission statement because yeah. I'm constantly when i look at that every time i'm interrogating myself yeah what do i need to be doing yeah. instead of saying this is what
0: we're going to do yeah yeah no i think that's good well it was i'll i'll you know put your your link to your uh newsletter your Substack, in the notes here so people can find you and any other ways that you would like people to reach out and find you, you know you know i assume I assume you're okay with me posting this.
1: Oh yeah, oh, posting uh, the
0: the discussion? Yeah, this conversation. Oh, um, or would I, you rather uh, I hold it? Would you rather review it first? Um,
1: I've never done anything like this before. <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm camera shy. Well, I will send you the link. And you look at it and think about it, and if you're okay with me sharing it, I'll share it. How's that?
1: Oh, that that would yeah, I'd be I'd I'd be happy with that. And
0: if you want to keep it to you, if you want to not share it, that's totally okay too. Oh,
1: I didn't think there would be anything worth sharing in it.
0: Oh no, I thought this was wonderful. (laughs) I thought this was. I think people would enjoy watching this and learning about what you're doing and thinking about it. I mean, that's that's uh, well,
1: I'll. If, if I'll make a deal with you, if, if you'll send me the link and I could preview it and let my daughter, Jennifer pre- preview it as well. Uh, we'll get, we'll get her approval and then, uh, go from there.
0: That sounds like a great plan. <laughs> that sounds like a great plan. Okay. Well, well, thank you so much, Michael. This has been, uh, this has been a joy.
1: Yeah. And and one of the reasons I want to talk to you is to thank you for what you've done. Uh, it, it, I don't think there's an estuary that I can be involved in here. I may not have time to, but I've, my reading group has been an estuary in a sense. Yes. And I've lectured in a coffee shop, bringing different denominations together, at least trying to get the church to talk together uh, before they can talk to other people outside.
0: Yeah.
1: And so uh, I have a sympathy for what you're doing and uh, I pray for you and um and ask that uh, God will bless you in your in your work. So thank you very much for the conversation and and all that you've done.
0: Well, thank you, and yeah, your prayers that's the most that's the most important thing you can do for me. So I, I very much appreciate it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: Thank thanks. you, Michael. Oh, yeah. Thank I you. I will. I will send this to you.
1: Okay, and we'll 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 look for we and get approval from Jennifer.
0: Sounds great. All right. Take care.
1: Thank you. Bye bye.
0: Bye bye.